This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. Hey, there it is. There it is. How's everyone doing today? Good. Good. Cold. <laughs> hey, dude, it's warm right now. It's actually like oh, yeah. hot. Yeah. I, I almost had to take off my jacket and come in here. I took a shower before I came here and everything, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably why I was feeling a little bit warm, but I walked outside. It was like 65. This morning it was colder. Oh, yeah, this morning it was Last night was bad. Yeah. I was uh-huh. not ready for that. I know it was like raining a lot the other day. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember I was going to class, bro, and it like literally started raining like really bad. Like, I think like maybe halfway towards my class, and I have curls, so you can only imagine. Oh, and I gosh. wasn't wearing a hat, wasn't wearing a hoodie, and... As soon as I get to my class, like my curls are all the way down to my nose, my my jeans were all like drenched. At, I like just told my professor, I was like, I'm sorry, I can't sit here drenched. I gotta go back and change, man. I can't, <laughs> I can't stay. But um, just to start off, good afternoon, Tri Nation, and welcome to another episode of the Black Student Union podcast. Today we have the pleasure of having the Noah Harris on our podcast. Um, for most of you guys that don't know, Noah Harris is Harvard's first black male student body president yes, sir. in over 300 years of tradition, um, Ebony Magazine's next-gen nominee, and author of Successville. So he, this, this man is, has managed to surpass um, many, many challenges, um, and he's, he's going strong. So we're very lucky to have him on the show. Um, we're going to call him here in a second and mm-hmm. get the show started, but... First things first, man, I hope you guys are well. Midterms just passed, um, so I know you guys are, are, are just as stressed as, as we are, and I'm very happy that that half of the semester is, is done with. Um, how, how, how are you guys feeling so far? Um, I'm feeling pretty good. I mean, only thing that's really got me stressed out now is the senior capstone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. You are a senior. Yeah, no, I, I forget, too. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What, what, what project are you... Are you doing for that? I'm doing a study over heroin and the methamphetamine epidemic in Indiana, Michigan, and Ohio. Wow. And I have to basically do a personal independent study, the history of it, what they're trying to do now, and then find my own solutions or see what could be better to make it better for like the country because my area of Ohio is really bad with heroin. Oh, wow. Yeah, you are from Ohio. I've heard some horror stories about Ohio, uh, isn't it like a type of like thing that they sell at like Seven Elevens where you can literally just put it in your system and it like stops the heroin use? Like, uh, what is it called again? I don't remember. Like, it saves millions of lives and stuff like that, and it's crazy. Like, they had to put it on like convenience store st- uh, store shelves just to like, you know, really yeah. like, get that. That's terrible. Now there's a big fentanyl epidemic going. Yeah, drugs, it's crazy, man. man. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm really happy that you're going into that topic. A lot of people have been mm-hmm. hurt by that. I know. Um, I remember, like the war on drugs, like, like way back. Um, they were, I think, they were like catalyzed or categorizing it as more a a criminal thing rather than a, than a, I guess, a mental, not mental, mm-hmm. but um, health crisis. Yeah. Um, what's like your conclusion in that? Like, do you think it's more of like a criminalized thing or do you think it's more of like a health problem? So I've had actually family members, not like in my direct, like inner family, just within my family tree 
that amazing people. Like they graduated college, great person. Like they would help take care of me when I was growing up and right. they tried it once and it completely changed them. So there's definitely criminal parts to it, mm-hmm. but it is a definite, definite mental deteriorator that will change your person because you just get so hooked on it. Wow. And there was my one family member that was hooked now got off and she's doing a lot better. Like yeah. a lot of people that recover were actually get into programs and they can try to help people get out of it. Cause yeah. they know it's like a spiral once you start, but it's definitely more of mental and people have to realize like they're still human. They're just not doing so hot. Yeah. Yeah. It is a, it's a terrible, terrible like thing that, that goes on, especially like in, you know, disenfranchised, you know, populations and stuff like mm-hmm. in Detroit, it's like that. And I know in yeah. Ohio, it's like that and all that. I know, um, like a lot of people that are in in jail for um, drugs. Most of them can't. The reason why they're in there for so long, like even though it's just like a small dose, is because they don't have the money to get out. Mm-hmm. Like the bail is so expensive for for them themselves because they they don't they live in poverty. Yeah. Compared to, um, I guess, more of the the wealthier. Um, right. Group where when they get in trouble, it's it's easy for them to post bail and never yeah. see a charge yeah. happen because right. they they can afford it. Yeah, it's tough. Um, I, I'm just waiting here for Noah to get back to me and stuff yeah. like that. So probably in like a couple minutes, we should have him on the podcast. Uh, a few things that um, me and AB talked about before you got on the call yesterday. Uh, we were just talking about his background a little bit. He's a senior right now, so like. Um, yeah, he's he's just like you. He's gonna graduate soon, I believe, right? Or is he doing? Yeah, I, I know he just got into Harvard Law. Yeah. Um, so I think you might have to apply for that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, dude. If you're, yeah. If you're a senior. <laughs> I'm a criminal justice major, bro. Harvard Law. That's one of those things. It's like you you better know what you're doing yeah. twice as well than you think you know. Yeah, yeah you gotta be a, you, you gotta be somebody to to get there. Yeah, good so. friend. That's amazing. Yeah. I could never. Like that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, Harvard Law is almost like, impossible to get into, you know. Yeah, um, um, I I like politics, but I don't think uh, I could do it for a living. I'm sure. It, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's a lot of like, I don't even know, bro. It's just like, it's like a whole yeah. different lifestyle. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like watching your back 24 yeah, 7. You have to yeah. watch every move you make. Everything you say. Because everything you say, anything you do, a random picture, you can like discredit everything you've yeah. done. I like social politics better. Like when it's more of like the connecting like the mm. people into like what's going on rather than just like seeing what's happening. Right. Yeah. Like just, just like when you're following politics itself, it's like so much where you don't even know like what you're gonna do next like you can either either fall out of it just as fast as as yeah. you've gotten as you into, it. into it yeah yeah it's i don't know bro it's just like small thing that'll hurt your credibility can oh yeah oh man. especially if it's like democrats and republicans and, and independents all that it really depends on if you can survive within that party if you can't then yeah you're done for mm-hmm. then i don't know what job you would go for after <laughs> that bro Oh, uh, it's now four o'clock, so let's try to get the man himself on the podcast. So I'm about to give him a call real fast. Let's go. Yes, sir. I was wondering how you guys did that, bro. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Revolutionary. Hi. Hey, no. Hey, let's go. <laughs> man, the myth, the legend. So Noah Harris. Oh, I'm a- 
I won't say all that. How you doing? <laughs> Here, turn turn up the collar yeah. real quick. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Man, no, we were we were just um, listing off your accolades, man. <laughs> but we wanted to oh, we wanted to give you a chance to um, introduce yourself to Tri Nation, man. And I know I've had a lot of people come up to me and 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 say, "Oh man, this is this is going to be huge um, to to have." a ebony next gen nominee um be on black student yeah podcast, that's huge man. brother that's congrats huge. man yeah, I, for real. I, haven't, I haven't said it enough bro that's that's big bro well thank you so much uh, thank you so much for having me thinking about me reaching out uh it's uh yeah i think that moment especially this past saturday with the ebony power 100 yeah. um gala in in um in in Los Angeles, that that was just an out of body experience, you know. And mm. I think it's I think it's a product of um, you know a lot of work that that I've been trying to do at Harvard. But you know, even even with all the the work that you put in, you don't necessarily think it'll end up you know with something like that. But but yeah, like um, it's it's pretty remarkable. Just my my um, journey from from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, you know, wanting to play play sports potentially in college, not really knowing necessarily where I would go, never really seeing an Ivy League school as a possibility to four years later being elected the first black student body president in Harvard's 385-year history. That's insane. Um, it's just <laughs> um, you, can't, you can't make it up, you know, and, and I'm grateful and thankful and I, I don't take a day for granted. And I try to to bring people along and help people out where I can, service above self. I think that's always been my motto, trying to make every place I go better, trying to leave every place better than I found it. Um, and if I can do that, I feel like I've, I've done my job at the end of the day. But, right. you know, you, nev- you never think it's going to turn out like, like this. So it's definitely a blessing. But don't take it for granted and um, always trying to, to do more, expand, yeah. Well, that's amazing, man. And, and like you said, you're, you're, from, you're from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, which is a, a small city. Um, from your accomplishments, you, you didn't let that define you. How did you get the confidence to put yourself out there and run on such a big platform? Well, I think it was a major, major product of me just kind of having the experience on the undergraduate council knowing that coming into Harvard, that that was something that I wanted to do, a place I wanted to spend my time and really try and be a part of one of the most change-effective organizations at one of the greatest universities in the world. I think that was something that, that was definitely a calling card for me. I've done student government throughout middle school, high school, but just never have we had the mandate, had the responsibility that we have now with this half a million dollar budget and the ability to kind of go after some major changes, the the stakeholders that we have meetings with within um, in the Harvard administration and the resources that we have to really take on some big issues and really fill in the gaps for students. I think it started, uh, you know, primarily with us, you know, my vice president, Jenny Gann, and myself really just trying to be there during the pandemic, during a really difficult time for a lot of students especially international students, first-gen low-income students, uh, undocumented students, really trying to navigate this difficult period of 
virtual learning, not being on campus, our 6,600 member, you know, student body just spread out all across the world. Uh, and we're, we're trying to grapple with this moment at the same time, dealing with racial injustice, dealing with a number of different um, crises at once, but still, still expected to perform at the highest level at, um, at a university that is, um, that's difficult to get to, but also a difficult space to be in, um, you know, if you're not used to this academic, mental health-wise, um, culturally, and a number of different things. So I think we, we really wanted to fill in the gaps. I think that began with resources. So storage, we rented a, um, a warehouse that did a $15,000 project to uh, provide storage for over 500 students when the university decided they were no longer providing storage. Mental health resources were a struggle transitioning to the virtual context. So we partnered with Headspace to provide a year-long subscription for the mindfulness and meditation app for over 1,200 students. And so you just go on and on from transportation to storage to mental health. On and on, we were trying to fill in the gaps. And so I think a lot of um, a lot of the work we've been doing is really trying to fill in the gaps and then where we can uplift the student experience and continue to push forward conversations that are happening before the pandemic that might that Harvard's administration might have tried to stall, you know, during a time where understandably a lot of other things are going on. Wow. That's that's really awesome, by the way. Uh, that's a lot of money you guys have to work with right there. Yeah. Uh, one of the questions doesn't hurt. Doesn't hurt. Yeah. One of the questions that kind of came up for me is um, like you're you're being pulled in a lot of different directions, of course, with student government and, you know, injustices that's going on in the world and stuff like that and COVID and all that. How do you kind of keep like a like a calm head about yourself and like still make time for yourself and make time for your hobbies? Yeah, I think trying to have time to yourself where you're not necessarily achieving some objective or, or doing something, but just, just take the break, breaks throughout the day, throughout the week, focusing on, you know, what's, what's important, really separating the things out that are important from the things that are not, um, and focusing on those important things and really using the time where, you know, a past self might might be focusing a lot on things that don't matter as much and really trying to see the bigger picture of and trying to prioritize goals as well but i but it's it's difficult you know it's uh for a a solid year there just not having in-person interaction speech after speech on on zoom meetings we you know i think i think there have been there are a number of different ways that colleges have handled the pandemic. Some colleges never went virtual. Some colleges went hybrid. But for those that went completely virtual without most of your students being on campus, I think you can relate to spending 12 to 15 hours some days on Zoom, meeting after meeting, back to back, nothing in between, class on Zoom, social events on Zoom, meeting, office hours on Zoom, everything on Zoom. And so it was just, there were times where you just, you just don't even want to look at your, a, a screen or a computer, just wanted to shut it and kind of close your eyes. And so it, it was, it was really tough. And I think 
a lot of um, a lot of students, even though you know we are in a very privileged position to be going to this university, no doubt. Um, and of course, the name recognition of Harvard drives a lot of success, uh, a lot of resources, especially after you know it's 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 really important to recognize just how hard mentally, physically, emotionally that that was. People losing family members, loved ones, um, not knowing, walking around, not knowing whether or not you have this virus that we don't know anything about yet. I mean, we do now, but I mean, not really then. And we're still figuring it out. So, um, yeah, just a very scary time, but really honored to that the Harvard student body would kind of entrust me with such an unprecedented time in the university's history. Right. And that, you know, we're still, we're still working on it every single day, even though we're back in person on campus, you know, masked inside, but still doing things in person. So that's amazing. But still there's things, there's things to work on. Mm-hmm. That's wow. amazing, man. I don't, I don't know how, how you guys overcome so many obstacles um, and, and still have your head up high. Um, I know one of the books that are, is successful the the uh the one of the books that you have or is it do you have um other ones out too uh that's the only book i have i'm not i wouldn't say that i'm really um an author author i didn't write successful to be an author right you know it was just kind of a it was a community uplift project mainly um I, i knew i'd be going to to harvard which is really far away from from mississippi and I really wanted to give back to the community that had given so much to me that it invested so much in me for years and combine that with the importance of education. My mom's been uh, in education for over 15, um, for over 15 years. And it's just, you cannot, you cannot just overestimate the, how much that matters, you know, from a young age, the school that you go to, the work that you put in, um, you know, on your education, making sure that you can get a great education and then figuring out what you want to be when you're younger and really you're trying to apply that from the younger age because we don't really have career exploration like we should. Um, In school, that's kind of a thing that your parents are supposed to teach you outside of school and we know the the um the disparities that exist when that is the only form of learning that you can have and so really trying to encourage kids to think about what they want to be from a young age apply themselves and really know that anything is possible if they are willing to do the work of course. and so trying to give options i think is, is really important and so that's why I wrote the book. Yeah. Um, it's about this um, this second grade class that is um, that's that's learning, you know, and the teacher catches the kids not paying attention again, and so she comes up with this idea to tell them about Successville, which is this kind of pitch as this like Disney World utopia where you achieve every single thing that you set out to achieve, and you really reach the destination uh, based on your talents, gifts, abilities that really just brings forth your full potential in every sense. And 
you know, it can and just let people know that we are all our success builds are different, but they're all exceptional because that is where we'll shine. That is the job. That is the outcome. That is the career that we will excel in because our strengths come together in that way for that. And so letting people know that whether you want to be uh, a carpenter, teacher, firefighter, doctor, um, you know, musician, whatever, your reality, your full potential is your success. Yeah. And really trying to show show that the, how that how that works, and giving people options for like, you know, what to strive for. Mm. Okay. Do you think Do you think the book is a reflection of of your own reality? You know, a small skinny kid from Hattiesburg goes up to be an, an accomplished individual that pays it forward to his, to his communities. Uh, I think somewhat. You know, it's um, it's a of course, you, when, you, when you write something like that, you have to make it applicable to a number of different kids. Um, you know, I was always somebody who worked really hard in school. It was never really that I had to um, to turn it around or try and change something about my behavior. Um, really, in a, so, but I but I do I do know the importance of the, that classroom interaction that, you know, that learning process. And so I think, yes, I think part of it is if you realize, you know, my, my parents always told me that if you work hard in school, then great things are coming after that, whether it be a great college, a great job, a great career, a great life. But it was always in, my, in, the, in the back of my mind that, you know, I'm going to work hard and going to do my best but I was just realizing if I do those things, there was never a doubt in my mind that success would be coming after. So I think in a way, yes, but specifically not necessarily uh, that it was specifically designed uh, in a way that, um, that followed my path. But I, I do think, you know, when I'm telling kids that I'm doing these career and character education programs, I'm saying that, you know, Harvard is not, success. Harvard is on the path to success. It's on, it's a, it's a driver, but ultimately we're always, you know, we're always on our way. And so trying to approach it as if, you know, also the journey is the destination. Mm. So it's kind of like the road to success though. Mm. And we're never really satisfied either. I think it's another thing, you know, because they say, Oh, he goes to Harvard. Um, you know, he's made it, but I, I don't see it that way. Yeah. And I don't think they should either. All right. And that's, uh, one of the things that I picked up that I feel like, uh, super important is that, um, you said that when you were writing the book, you weren't writing it for a specific demographic or group of people you were writing it. So it can kind of, you know, be there for every type of culture and every type of person, um, I had a question about that. Um, you being the student body president at Harvard, um, you're going to see a bunch of different cultures, a bunch of different religions, right. a bunch of different skin colors and all that stuff. Um, what is one like really pivotal thing that you've learned from a different type of culture besides uh, the African-American culture? Mm, uh, that's a really good question. Um, let's see. 
Yeah. I think I've learned, I think I, yeah, I think I've learned a lot about, um, <clears throat> how things that we learn, especially in school or in K through 12, do not necessarily prepare us for, mm. for the diversity of, and the reality of what this country is. You know, I, I think the stories that we tell throughout history and throughout the origin story of this country, especially, is that America is a great country, and I, you know, I do, I do believe that. But at the same time, like who, who are the people that are making it great? And in, in it's, it's usually not including necessarily black and brown people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's another, that's a number of things. And I, I knew that to be true because you know when after after school was over at the school history class when we're going to church when i'm going home and my parents are teaching me about certain things you were learning different things Mm. and so i always grew up knowing that there were different different heroes throughout history that um what's in the textbook is not always the whole story um Mm. and so I, i do think the narrative of what we're learning i think learning to be having like a healthy skepticism about anything that you're hearing and learning i think is always important so i think i definitely learned that um i think i've learned a lot about um like uh let's see i guess first generation african uh individuals i think harvard taught me has taught me a lot about that because in mississippi you know when you think about black people you think about um you know generational african-american ties to slavery and at harvard you just learn that there are some there's some there's such a larger kind of diaspora of, of black people um learned a lot about south south asian culture yeah. and heritage mm-hmm. learned a lot about um, the nuances of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, yeah. and so I think I think I, I have learned a lot, um, and I think that's what you come to a place like Harvard to do uh, to gain another worldview, especially when you come from a small town to kind of see um, a number of different cultures, people that aren't necessarily accessible where you're from. Yeah. And and that's a great answer. Uh, here at Trine, we we have a bunch of um, international students, uh, along with uh, people that just don't look like us at the Black Student Union. And that's one of the things that I really try to keep my my eyes open uh, to learn, just so I can get like another perspective um, from them, so I can look at the world better. So, Colin, you have any thoughts? Of course. I actually was wanting to ask you. So. I come from a very small town in Ohio, so kind of like small town relation there, but mine was very of a different experience, a lot of opposition against uh, my group, against my family and everything, so I was wondering in your time from when you were in your town, you're in Mississippi to now, was there ever a moment of extreme opposition for you or was there ever like a moment that like lit a fire under you that made you want to push harder or like an, ah, like an aha moment? Mm. That's a good question. <laughs> I think not necessarily extreme opposition, 
but just the moment where um, some of the things that you learn and you realize that some of the some of the people who are smiling in your face are not necessarily rooting for you are rooting for your success. Right. And I think, and I think that was something that was weird for me um, because that's something that, you know, like my parents would say and I'd be like, Oh yeah, whatever, you know, like we're all, we're all good here. But you know, there are, there are some things and that you just have to have a, a small inner circle of people that you trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing that not everybody's out for your best interest. Right. I think that was just something that like, um, was, was just weird for me growing up because, you know, growing up in the church, you're, you're taught that, that we're all just trying to, to do our best to, um, to be the best people that we can be. And what, well, I have no doubt that so many people are like that. It's, um, it's also clear that you have to watch out for people who don't have your best interests at heart because it's right. more people than you think. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to always, you have to always be aware, um, be aware of your surroundings. Um, yeah. So I think that's something that is not, it's not the greatest thing, but you just kind of have to watch out for yourself yeah. at times and make sure people around you are, are uplifting you make sure you're running in the right crowd. Um, so I wouldn't say like extreme opposition, but just a certain awareness yeah. um, uh, to be, to be um, a little bit, you know, always agile in, in uh, how things are going, who's perceiving you, what's, what's going on around you. Right. Kind of, to kind of go back to um, what you said um about the people next to you aren't always rooting for you kind of reminds me of a, a Drake lyrics when he said um he said he said smiling in my face or um whole time they want to take my place i think it was like a fake love yeah um, yeah he made, just reminding me of that and a lot of the time like i remember in high school um I remember, yeah, I remember in high school, um, I would, I had these, um, very close friends, um, and then went to college and they just kind of faded away a little bit. And, you know, after that, you just never heard from them again. Um, although you grew, you grew up with them. It's just, it's not the, it's not the same anymore. Right. Uh, Yeah. Same. My entire group's gone. (laughs) Like I've got my college friends, but actually don't mind me going back to the question prior. So when you were talking about like learning about, I don't want to say, like, the true history of, like, our nation and the world, but, like, learning more of, like, the raw facts in that in high school we're taught very much, like, hey, this is it, like, mm-hmm. it's, we're this great country, we've done all this, done all that, and then we learn the rest, which we go to college. For those that don't pursue a after-high-school education, do you think it, it's kind of on the, that high school or middle school is responsibility to kind of teach that if they... I feel like that'd be the best way to kind of help with the social injustice and like social disconnect you see kind of today. Yeah, I think, you know, I get, I get why you want people to have pride in their country. Um, but I think there's also a balance you can strike between like, you know, um, having pride and making sure that you're telling the truth. Mm. 
you know, not trying to hide certain things to make certain people look better than they really were. I think that's important because we, we idolize certain people throughout history as a nation and make it seem like they had no flaws whatsoever. And then we'll demonize other people and make it seem like they had no positive quality mm-hmm. whatsoever. So I think trying to, I had a lot, I had a lot more dynamism to the stories that we're telling who's included, always trying to think about who's telling the story and who's being left out and trying to find those voices that aren't necessarily screaming the loudest mm-hmm. um, as really, is really important. I think a certain responsibility is on, on the schools to do that because, you know, not everyone has the resources at home, the, the access to books that may be banned in schools, the access to um, just the scholarship that is making certain arguments. Um, not everyone has access to um, parents with a college degree. Either. And so I think it's just, it's just about equity. You know, you have to just tell the truth and, and do it in a, in the place that's supposed to be the great equalizer, which is the school, yeah. you know, it's not supposed to matter who you are, um, where you come from, what you look like. And that's, um, that's what that, that's what that whole American dream thing is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be about equity. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't end when it stops being convenient. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I, I, I totally understand what you're saying. And that's, and that's real. Yeah. That was, um, uh, before we let you go, we probably have time for one last question. And, uh, I've been thinking about this question like the whole time. I like uh, asking a lot of people that um, I talk to philosophically uh, this question. Um, what do you want your legacy to be? Like when it's all said and done, uh, when you're, you know, an old man and you're about to, you know, kind of move on and stuff with, with the flow of nature and stuff like that. Uh, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want your footprint to be on, on the world? This is a really good question, you know. And as somebody who... Who, um, who really needs to take a step back every now and then and, you know, stop going just, just day to day, week to week, because I have a habit of doing that. I think, you know, what I want my legacy to be, um, if somebody, somebody's just very service oriented, mm. um, somebody who's not, not afraid to take on things that, um, that take a long time are really difficult, Mm -hmm. but really just somebody who ran, you know, his leg of the race with everything that he had and pushed, pushed, um, pushed us forward, Mm -hmm. you know, on a number of different, you know, issues for, toward equality, um, toward a more just society. Um, and did so, you know, where it necessarily wasn't always expedient. And so I think always just trying to make sure that progress is happening wherever I'm going. Right. You know, I think that that's probably what I would want. That's beautiful. Because at the end, at the end of the day, you know, 
Uh, and I, I kind of got a little bit of that from, you know, John, John Lewis's um, mm. autobiography. Yeah. Is, um, you know, you can only do the most with what you have mm. in the era that you have. Right. So, like, I mean, I, I use that, like, the image of, like, a, a relay race because if you go second on the relay, the relay race and there's two people after you and you run the relay at a world record pace, nobody's going to say, nobody's not, you know, but nobody's going to say you didn't do your job right. when there's a person two generations down the line going across the finish line, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so yeah. I didn't want to do my, just just say that I did my part, yeah. you know? That's very noble, and I and I appreciate yeah. you for uh, taking a chance to be vulnerable with us on this podcast and have a real talk. So, um, before you leave, I just want to say thank you, and uh, we can all go around and say thank you to him and stuff. I uh, appreciate you, big dog, man. Um, like I said, you're you're the epitome of, of black excellence, man. So keep keep on keep on <laughs> yes, what you're sir. keeping on, man, because um, you inspire a lot of um, young leaders and a lot of young pioneers. Um, you know, I definitely know that you've you've definitely motivated me a couple of times, and, and, and with with what you're doing on your end, um, definitely pushes us to um, and hold up on on our end as well too. So yeah, definitely keep going, bro. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're, you're doing amazing things, man. I was talking to you guys before this. I'm studying criminal justice here. When I found out you were a Harvard <laughs> Law student, I was like, man, this guy is like the dude yes. like this is the dude i need to hear what he has to say <laughs> and everything you've said was amazing yeah. i'm gonna definitely take it a heart and take it with me into my own field and i wish you the best in your future and i hope that legacy that you're striving for you get in more yeah y'all are too kind thank you so much for having me for um for reaching out for for making the space you know for having a real conversation yes sir i think you know a lot of people have have the mic just to have the mic a podcast just for the just for the heck of it but you know this is um powerful conversation <laughs> and uh and yeah like i'm happy to do it it's like you said it's um people need to to hear you know real conversation real dialogue you know and um you know if you can't if you can't see it you can't be it so really trying to have people um, find blueprints. So, like, yeah. you know, I'm I'm always finding role models, taking certain aspects of that people are who are killing it and who are pushing forward the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm blessed to to have you know people say that you know they're they're getting things from me, um, and so I continue to learn from others. I hope people are learning from me because I guess that means. That I'm, that I'm trying to do something right. right. Yeah, and you're doing <laughs> so, right, um, yeah. Thank you for having me, for sure. Yeah, man. Make sure you have a good rest of your day, brother. Uh, we'll probably reach out to you for a future podcast or something like that. So, oh, for sure. Yeah, stay frosty on that, man. Have a great rest of your day. Yes, sir, man. Stay of course, smart. y'all too. Line, line's always open. Yes, y'all have a good one. All right, have a good All day, right. man. All right, bye. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I definitely loved that end there when he talked about he's constantly looking for someone else. Because like, it was like two different ways to look at it. There's either you're very good at what you do and there's yeah. someone else in the room that could beat you or you're good at what you do and there's someone else that can help, that's, that can help you yeah, or there's doing something. They're doing yes. one thing that you yes. can improve on. That's beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. 
Man, we're just getting all these amazing special <laughs> guests, man. Yeah, yeah, we're blessed for that. Well, um, I appreciate all y'all for coming out and listening uh, to this very special Black Student Union podcast that we just put together. And um, you guys stay warm and uh, get those midterms and going into finals, get, get all that stuff done and oh. have a great rest of your day and look good, man. Look good. We'll see you guys in the next one. See ya. This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.